seconds flat. Get up. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Hello again, friends. Welcome to Mile 106 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. We are so happy to have you with us this week, and I'm happy to have my man Phil back with me. Phil? Oh, it's good to be back. Good evening. How are you? I'm nervous for this one, man. This is big time tonight. it is. We brought in the scientist. I believe this can be one of the most mystifying and confusing topics in running training. And that's part of why I'm so excited. Because we're going to make it worse. (laughs) (laughs) Because I believe we're going to take that topic and make it much more easily accessible to all of you who actually apply it in your running. This is lactate threshold and tempo training, the what, the why, and the how. We have so much to get into with that. Before we do, in my enthusiasm, I cannot forget do South Coffee Roasters. Let's get them right off the bat oh, before I get all fired up. We should go up easy here. on the caffeine tonight. <laughs> Honestly, it's true. I need a cup of decaf right that's now. That's right. Benjamin, that's for you. Nobody does it better. Hampton Station here in Greenville, online, do South Coffee, at do South Coffee on the Instagram. SFPOD, S-F-P-O-D is your discount promo code for 15% off. Our friends and yours, Ryan, Benjamin, and the gang. We're going to get into our training week here in a little bit. And one of my workouts uh, was over the weekend. I wrapped up with a few hills right there up at the Cripple Creek Canteen in front of Hampton Station. It's oh, a great spot. And I could smell it's the motivating. beans in the air. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So Now, did it make you speed up or did you want to quit and just go have a cup of coffee? I will leave that for a few minutes from now when okay. we get into our training week cliffhanger go see him wonderful people doing a great job and just serving our community love those guys so thanks again for all the support from the do south coffee roasters before we get into the meat a little hors d'oeuvre indoor track your appetite. yes <laughs> indoor track is back oh it's hot it was. We are on television, NBC, in the middle of a blizzard. Yes. In New York City last weekend. At the Armory. Oh, man. Have you been to the Armory? I have not. I would love to go see a yeah. race there. Bucket list. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Let's immediately go off the rails here. Three bucket list places you want to see a race, filled. Oh, number one's got to be Hayward Field. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. Old Hayward and New Hayward. Yeah. Done them both. Just um, fantastic. Where's number two? Number two's got to be Boston. Uh, just the history, 125 years yeah, this past year. Beyond the yeah, marathon definitely. course. Number three, maybe Kona, Hawaii. Yeah. Go see the Hawaii Ironman. Yeah. Great. So I think there's my list. That's a great list. The Armory would be high on mine. The Milrose Games this weekend. Obviously, the star of the show is traditionally the Wanamaker Mile, both the men and the women. And those were great races. But to me, the race of the day was in the men's 3000. I'm with you. That was exciting. 
Little race tactics. It the, was fast. It was fast. You had the Oregon, ex-Oregon guy yep. still out there training. Cooper Tier, Cole Hawker battling back and forth. Hawker appearing to be making a move off the last turn in the outside, he like, he like lane three. Yeah. Tear starts to veer out to try to drive him out, and uh-oh! <laughs> Coming on the inside. Somebody sneak around the chicken coop on the inside off the turn. Gotta check your blind spot. Former lum- lumberjack. So you know Benji was excited. <laughs> ben loves the lumberjacks of northern Arizona. Jordy Beamish sneaks by on the inside for the win. He's now with the On Athletic Club in they Boulder. Had a solid oh. weekend. Did they have a day? Man. Yeah. Aldi Hoare. Yep. Jordy Beamish in the men's 3000. That's actually a new record time, indoor time for New Zealand. I believe Aldi Hoare set an Australian indoor mile record mm-hmm. in his race. Yep. Um, Alicia Monson, also with the group, won the women's 3000, which was really, for most part, just a duel between her and Wayne Kaladi. Right. That was a fun race, too. Whatever Ritz is doing with those cats in Boulder, they got it going right now. Well, and I'm excited to see a shoe company that's kind of, I guess, up and coming. That's right. Really putting some resources into developing a good team, something to compete with what Nike's doing out in Oregon, and they're, they're getting results. That is almost verbatim a text that... Benji sent me <laughs> as we watched simultaneously from different states and exchanged our commentary. They are all in on their race team yes. at On Athletic. Yep. And it you're right. It's just beautiful to see a group running so well at several different events with runners from all over the world. And as you said, an up-and-coming brand. It's not just Nike. It's right. not just the Bowerman Group, the Oregon Project. That's really fun. He also proclaimed in a bold proclamation as Alicia Monson won the 3K that she is the next Shalane Flanagan. Ooh. That's asking a lot. That's bold. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There were some things he said to me that I can't even say (laughs) on these radio waves. But yeah, that was, it was bold. Another really fun moment was in the men's Wanamaker Mile when Nick Willis, for the 20th consecutive year... That is so impressive. ...broke four minutes in the mile. And this time, he did it getting pulled through by a kid who was just a high school runner a year ago, and his teammate with the Very Nice Track Club in Michigan, Hobbs Kessler, helped him through to break for 20 consecutive years under four in the mile. That's incredible. Yeah. He was so close at that showcase they did for, uh, what, New Year's Eve, New Year's yes, Day with Tracksmith. 4.0.3 yeah. or something on New Year's oh. Eve. But yeah. doing it basically as a solo time trial. So you knew he had it, but man, yeah, that consistency. Oh, it's incredible. He has proven to age well. Yes. On the same day in another sport, as an aside, you know my affinity yes. for professional tennis Rafa Nadal has proven to age well also with his 21st major at the Australian Open. We're talking about Aussie runners here. So let me tell you what didn't age well, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) That was my comment about the quality of the NFL playoffs the last time I had you on. That's right. Now, I stand by my position that the expanded NFL playoffs are superfluous, and I don't need these other teams that are watering down the wild card. But then we moved to the divisional round Mm -hmm. and the conference championships. I don't know why I went back to it after I watched that whole wild card and just didn't even enjoy it. (laughs) I I thought thought, you were done with football. I I did too. But I think I was maybe cooking, baking something, looking for something to do over the weekend. Uh 
maybe writing some training plans. Supposed to be grilling wings and drinking beer. Yeah. Not baking, Travis. I don't quite fit in with the regular Super Bowl party (laughs) crowd. But this would have been then that Sunday of the division around. Over the course of something like six hours, I watch... Matt Stafford and Tom Brady in Tom Brady's final game, which we didn't know at the time, when he's playing at an MVP level, go back and forth, and it ends with Stafford making this incredible deep throw to break a tie after a Brady comeback. I said to someone, like, I haven't seen a game end like this in years. And then immediately following that, I flipped to NBC for the Chiefs and Bills Uh in maybe the greatest professional football game I've ever watched. I will assert this, Phil, as a known critic of professional football, (laughs) no one analyzes the game like I do. That's right. The level of quarterback play, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Oh, it's incredible. I had never seen it better. And I believe Josh Allen... His performance that week, because I thought he was just a little better. They were both great, and of course, Mahomes won it. I thought Allen was one of the two or three best single quarterback games I've ever watched. I'll tell you one of the others, because it's going to lead to something else in the playoffs. Joe Burrow at LSU, Mm -hmm. national semifinals against Oklahoma a few years back, when I think he threw seven touchdowns in the first half. Allen goes down the field. I'm having flashbacks to my childhood. I'm thinking this is 1987 AFC Championship, John Elway, the drive, Uh, municipal uh stadium, Cleveland, Ohio is going to be erased. And we're going to talk about Josh Allen, the drive. And then they leave 13 seconds. Mahomes matches it. I don't even know. I don't even have a parallel for what he did. Then the following week, Joe Burrow walks into Arrowhead Stadium and is apparently Joe Montana. Yep. And he won one ups Patrick Mahomes. Bengals are in the Super Bowl. It turns out for at least two weekends, the NFL was good. I'm excited for the Super Bowl. I'm willing to watch. Because we got Matt Stafford, who now he's out of the Lions, out of Detroit. Yep. He is the Hall of Fame quarterback he's always been, but now he's winning. And then you got Joe Burrow, who, what, he's been in Cincinnati for two years? That's right. Taking a team that was projected to win five, six games this year. Off a major knee surgery. All the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah. I'd lo- love to see what's going to happen. Yeah. I will actually watch the Super Bowl this year. I do not always. <laughs> because even the best football critic doesn't always watch <laughs> the games. So, Phil, let's step away from the sport that we really know, which is football. Okay. And go to a side venture. Yeah. Another a hobby of ours. Nobody really which is, cares about. Which is back to running. Running. <laughs> Uh, last note on Milrose, Tier and Hawker did announce that they are targeting the indoor American mile record. Nice. Next weekend, a week and a half from when uh-huh. we're recording. It's Groundhog Day, Phil. Did did he see his shadow? Ooh. Which one? Well, Isn't there just one? Well, what there's, like, there's, Which one? No, there's like three. You there's... got one in your yard that you monitor? <laughs> well, you know, salute to Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Salute to Sam. Went back into Phil's basement. That's right. Oh, I'm hoping for spring tomorrow. Uh, oh, I think Puxitani Phil called it as a late spring. There was one that... There was That's one, the one that matters. Yeah. Puxitani Phil's the big boy. There was boy. a groundhog that died like yesterday, though. Oh, gosh. Yeah. What it's timing. It's big debut. It's really sad. Man. He can handle another six more weeks of winter. That's hard to hear. I don't know yeah. if I can go on. <laughs> in a week and a half from Groundhog Day in Chicago... Tier and Hawker are targeting the American indoor mile record, which I believe is Bernard Lagat 349-ish. Uh-huh. 
So we'll see what happens there. talking about an athlete that has aged well. Oh my gosh. And looks fantastic still. One more piece of miling news out there. Bring back the mile. I want to give a congrats to one of our guys. Okay. Seconds flat athlete. Our guy, Adam, who has been pursuing a sub 420 mile since college. Nice. He's been on the precipice. I believe he told me 10 attempts in which he ran 423 or under, oh, but did not break 420. Oh, that's painful. And I have had the great good fortune in the past uh, couple seasons here to, to get to work with Adam. He's just a wonderful person. And he opened the season down at uh, in Columbia a few weeks back, ran a 423 pretty much solo. Felt really positive coming out of that. A little rust buster. He went back to Columbia and put a 415 spot on the board last nice. weekend. Congrats to him. Oh, fantastic. Well-paced. And I bring it up. What not, a jump, too. Right? This is not just cracking it. When you're running right. at that pace and you One are- One second's huge. Five not, seconds. Incredible. Yes. He said, I've always wanted to break 420. He said the A big reach goal was to get under 418. Forget it. That's out the door. Yeah. Couple pieces to this. One, he told me he's now retired from the mile, so he is not going on a Nick Willis esque sub yeah, four twenty streak. Twenty year streak. But two, this is what's beautiful for everybody: the persistence that he showed over yeah. all those years, the work. This is a guy with a full time job now. He's been out of college for a few years, and a willingness to change and adapt. When we sat down at the beginning of this season. Much like we've talked about in a previous episode, he said, maybe I need to shift the training cycle. You know, he had a feeling that he could only get recovered on a standard seven-day cycle from one workout midweek and a long run, and he just couldn't get the number of quality workouts he wanted. Mm -hmm. And so willing to shift to a nine-day schedule to try to make that work better for him and to fill in all the supplementals as well, the, the weights, the mobility, all the other stuff that he thought was helping. Just hats off. Nice. Incredibly excited for him. So great work, bud. Uh, let's go to our training weeks here uh, before we move to the main topic. Phil, you want to uh, start it off for us. Let's do from a week ago, which would have been Wednesday, Wednesday. Yeah. through yesterday, okay. which would have been Tuesday yeah. as we record. Um, So somewhat uneventful. This was kind of a, a basic week. There's a couple good. things that are kind of out on the horizon, but nothing coming up too too soon. Last Wednesday was an off day. I'd done a workout the Tuesday before, but since that was a week that we're not counting. We won't talk about that. Um, Do you want to just mention what the workout was? Sure, because it actually might tie into some of what we're going to talk about later. Beautiful. Um, we did three by eight minutes. Okay. Um, so not a ton of volume, but it was right around half marathon pace. Mm-hmm. Really ended up being around like 15K pace, so a little bit quicker than intended, but it was good. Normally a workout like that would be four to five reps at eight minutes. That was kind of the first race or excuse me first workout back after a race a few weeks ago um so just kind of getting things moving again yeah with two minute recoveries on there wednesday was off thursday was just an easy five miles friday you know where i'm at you're climbing up the mountain mountain. aren't you that's right yeah um he's back on paris mountain that's right lap number three for the year yeah so i'm a little behind we'll get there well you've had some races that's true saturday was a good long run got in two hours right at Eight-minute pace. So we're in with our friend of the show, Dean, who yeah. is like a metronome. Dino. Um, yep. So right Locked on eight-minute pace. That's right. Was, uh, what was his attitude like? Was he negative? Oh, he was excited about it. Okay, it good. Was, it was enjoyable. All right. Nobody was trying to push anything. That's good. We yeah, had nice... Sometimes you know how Dino is. Uh, no. It just... We we had a nice tour of uh, tour of homes around Augusta Road in Southwest uh, Greenville. Dino, uh, I kid. <laughs> You're a wonderful man. Uh, and then Sunday, let's see, we did... Uh, it's another new route to me. Up in Traveler's Rest, went out with some friends, did about seven or eight miles. 
Um, I saw that. Out along Tubbs Mountain yeah, and nice. Lindsay Lake Road. So some backcountry roads, some rolling hills. And then Monday was the usual Monday morning shakeout of four miles. Nice and easy. And yesterday was another workout with uh, Dean as well. Um, we pushed each other. You're we getting did. Dean in shape. Oh, we got some big things coming. We're yeah. not talking about that just yet. Though. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. like where this is headed. Okay. Uh, we did four by four minutes. So kind of we might talk a little bit about why we do that later as well. But uh, We will. This was around kind of 10K pace. Again, two minutes recovery. Yeah. So it's been a good week of training. So what are you even up to? All right. Last Wednesday was a workout for me. It was eight by three minutes on, two minutes off. So a a fairly substantial rest for the interval of of activity, which was done intentionally given the paces that I was uh, working down to. This, I had both workouts I had over this week felt like they started off really, really blah. And then I left them thinking like, boom, nailed it. Nice. And so That's a good feeling. It is. And, and so uh, this was really a home run week for me, not because I did anything special, but because I feel good. Yeah. The body's moving. I'm getting better. And uh, I'm leaving with some confidence. So eight by three on, two off, worked that down, started the first couple of reps about 530 pace or a little under and worked down. The last three were right at 510 pace nice. uh, for three minute cycles. And then- So what's that mean like race pace effort for you? You know what? That's a great question because um, – Let's put it in relative terms. Since I race somewhat infrequently and I'm coming back off of you know being sick and missing some time late last fall, to compare that to where I was in when I ran a 5K on Labor Day, mm-hmm. this would be slightly slower than 5K pace. Then a short jog and 8 by 15 seconds at mile – effort with 60 seconds in between. Came back and swam 30 minutes that night just to loosen up a little bit. Backed that up with a really easy 90 minutes the next morning. Medium long, but really wasn't much. It was 11.4 miles. So nice and easy. Yeah, nice and easy. That afternoon, uh, easy double. So it was two hours on the day that following day, uh, that Thursday. Four miles and 31.30 with some strength work after. Came back out Friday, did just shy of 10 with some strides on the track. Worked out again on Saturday, uh, 15 times one-to-one, so 30 minutes total. Nice. That was... You like that one-to-one fart lick, don't you? I do, and this was uh, really more of a one-on-one steady. Okay. Right? Not not going off so much. It's with not your, coming off, just floating yeah, through. Yeah, because uh, over the course of the 30 minutes, I had a, almost 5.3 miles, so it was about a 5.40 average. And worked it down from, I was into the wind. This is a note I made here. <laughs> into a strong wind for the first 21 minutes of that fart lick before okay. I turned around and got it at my back for the last nine. To give you an idea, the first cycle, it was at 5.30 for the on and 6.30 for the off. But I worked the average down by 20 seconds from there. The last cycle was at 5.05 and 5.50. Nice. So well, That's a good lesson. Always yeah. start the intervals into the wind. Yes, and, and you get them at your back wind. and yeah. you want to progress it anyway. Then I followed it with my hills out by due south at Hampton Station, 5 by 30 second hills that I ran well. I felt really good about those. So yeah, the, the, uh, the smell of coffee in the air helped. Sunday, nine miles, easy recovery plus yoga Ooh. that morning. And then the, with the way the schedule worked out, Monday was an off day from work. So I went ahead and went long on Monday. Nice. Where'd you go? Uh, I just went out and back to Traveler's Rest on the Swamp Rabbit Trail. I picked a spot in my mind before I started and said, I'm going to go to that because I think it's about X number of miles away. I'm going to turn around and I'm never going to look at my watch. 
nice. until I get home. And so it ended, it was just meant to be a steady long run, which is my favorite, with 17.3 miles in one hour, 53 minutes, and five seconds, which is a 632 average. Excellent. So I think I probably worked it down and just held there. But yeah. the effort felt good. Then went back out yesterday and recovered a little bit from that. So, yeah, that's... Uh, it's a good week. That's the story of my week, my friend. Uh, yesterday was just nice and easy, putzing around, felt great. So, All right, last items to take care of before we go on to the big stuff. One, you can now rate the podcast on Spotify. That is a feature that was not previously available Please do. to Spotify users. Please do. Are you a Spotify guy, Phil? I am, yes. All right. Phil, I feel so, guilty about it, but I am. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not going to get into a bunch uh, yeah. of Neil Young... Joe Rogan stuff here. No. Well, but, and it takes, what, 350 plays for an artist to get like a dollar for their songs? We're not going there. Yeah. I don't, this we'll is not a time part. for ethics, <laughs> Phil. If you go to the uh, show homepage, there will be underneath the logo, kind of center to right, uh, to the right of where it says, if you're following us, three little dots. You click on those three little dots and you can rate the show. It will give you a one to five star list. I'm hoping you're going to go for five. Right now, we have all five star rankings. I'm looking oh, at it. So nice. beautiful. So, Phil, if you haven't done that, now that you know, you can do that as I well. I will do that as soon as I get home. Yeah, hey, have a nice cup of coffee boost and your rate own the ego. show. That's right. <laughs> Let's do it. And then the last thing, Phil, you have job news. I do. Oh, Tell it's the people. Been an exciting couple weeks. Yeah. No, I'm getting a promotion at work. So, I'll be the uh, new clinic director over there up at Furman. So, the. Director Dr. So, Phil now. Official title is, well, St. Francis Physical Therapy at Furman Sports Medicine. Yeah. So, yeah, come see us. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Congrats. Thank you. All right. Now, here we go. This is why they pay us the big money to do this show, Phil. Oh. <laughs> Spotify does it. 50 <laughs> listens, get a buck. Come on now. Like, come on, Mom. You got to listen a little more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but seriously, please, Mom. <laughs> Let's, let's talk about lactate threshold training. And, and let's begin by working through some, some basic definitions yeah. on the terms, let's even before terms. we get to lactate threshold, yeah. and just saying, what is it? In doing so, I believe we first need to define what is blood lactate. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's really what gets a lot of bad rap, is that Everybody associates that burn that you feel kind of during a hard session or a hard effort with lactate, and that's not necessarily true. Lactate's really just a, a normal metabolic byproduct. You have lactate circulating around in your blood right now, whether you're sitting on your couch, driving your car, or out for a run, there's a, a certain level of lactate. And what, what happens, and Travis may simplify this a little bit more, but basically in your blood, you have glucose, you have sugar that's circulating that goes to your muscles and provides those muscles energy. That glucose gets broken down into two different molecules, well, two molecules of what's called pyruvate. Mm -hmm. And during that breakdown, there's a little bit of energy released, and then those pyruvate mo molecules get broken down even further. As part of that breakdown of pyruvate, lactate is generated. And at normal kind of baseline levels, your body is able to kind of process that and even use some of that lactate for energy as well. And that gets recirculated. Sometimes it gets turned back into glucose, but basically you constantly have a level of lactate built up. When that lactate gets broken down further, there's a hydrogen ion that gets released. Again, that generates a little bit more energy. So you have different levels of breakdown each time giving you a little bit more energy. 
But that hydrogen ion, when it's released, goes into your bloodstream and it gets recycled. But what we associate with that burn is when that hydrogen ion, there becomes too much of a concentration in the, in the bloodstream, meaning that your cells, your mitochondria and your muscle cells can't process that quickly enough for the amount that you're, you're generating. So in short, that's my definition of what lactate is. Is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, so you raised three or four points that we're going to come back to and, and dig into deeper. I'll try to summarize what you said there. Blood lactate is a molecule in body fluids stemming from both glucose and glycogen-based mm-hmm. reactions, which those are meaning sugar in the bloodstream, sugar in the muscle use. And its production increases with harder exercise. The levels rise slowly with easy to moderate exercise. You said it's there when you're just sitting around, yep. as you walk, as you move. It's it's a very gradual increase. Then it accelerates those levels with harder exercise, and it starts to rapidly yep. accumulate. So let's use that then as a footing to define, if we can, because I think this second one's a harder definition. Sure. The, this second one is much more gray. That is defining what is the lactate threshold. I just said gray. I can identify gray on a color scale, but where does it end? Where does it shift? Right. Where does it shift to some other color? And how do I create words to define that? That's complicated. Yeah. Well, so let's go ahead. Talk a little bit about the history of like where that's defined. Yeah. So if we go back further, when we were first kind of discovering this and testing it, Lactate threshold was always set at a certain value of 4.0 millimoles per liter. Yes. So that's a concentration value of what's circulating in your bloodstream. In the lab, that's kind of what we always originally determined is this is lactate threshold. Whatever pace you're running, when your concentration levels in the blood hit that, that level was your lactate threshold. We're discovering that that's really more of an individual level. Yeah. And that 4.0 isn't really a hard and fast rule. We still see 4.0 used mm-hmm. as the traditional measure, but the, where the consensus is now is that that's an average. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So from my perspective, we want to put a, a strict pin on what lactate threshold is. Mm-hmm. It's because, you know, again, we want to be clear in what our terms are and our definitions. It's when that concentration rises one millimole per liter over your baseline level. So at a steady state, at a level of easy to moderate activity, you're going to rise just a little bit, but your body's going to continue to cycle that. So the levels of concentration aren't going to increase. Mm-hmm. But when that level of concentration rises one millimole per liter, then that's technically your lactate threshold. And there's some other thresholds very close to that. Yeah. We'll get into some field testing and some ideas in terms of how you can determine this outside of the lab, but that's kind of the I guess, the scientific definition of where the threshold is. Okay, so now to take that into layman's terms, I would apply that as the point at which you create lactate faster than you can clear or use it. Yep. Uh, that's that's how I would then apply this everyday speak to what's happening while we run. Absolutely. As you just alluded to, it is a range, not a clear, precise moment when... All of a sudden, I can no longer clear it. But right before this, it was so easy to do. Right, And that is, in part at least, why this term threshold training yields 
confusion because it is a color gradient. It mm-hmm. is shades of gray. Well, and it, even in how different labs test, they have sure. different protocols and different approaches. Yes. Ultimately, though, if we step back from that, what, what we can agree on them is we're creating a curve. Correct. And we have names for points and markers along that curve. Some of those names are interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're just out to confuse you. <laughs> <laughs> At the very basic level, the one that is often confusing to people is just, am I doing a threshold run or am I doing a tempo run? Yep. Are they the same thing or are they different? Or how are they different? Yeah. yeah. And so... Or what is one person's version of a tempo run yes. versus another coach's or person's version of a tempo run? Right. So the coach you're working with, the team that you coach, the athletes that you run with, the guys that you're out training for a mm-hmm. half marathon or marathon with, whatever it might be, just finding agreement <laughs> on what a word means might make it a little easier to figure out what we're actually doing with it because... Those words are not the same necessarily in training what a tempo run is Correct. and what a threshold yep. run is. And we'll get into that more. Let's talk about a few of those markers yep. along the way then, Phil. As I see it, we're stretching along this curve mm-hmm. all the way from what may be called like an aerobic threshold right. at the beginning. And at this point and at running that is done slower than this or with less effort than yep. this, which does not increase blood lactate beyond this point, you could essentially run all day. Correct. That's your all day pace. Right? Yeah. That is that is legitimately the I'm going out for my ultra marathon. Yep. I can do this forever pace. And then we mark different places along the curve. I think at some point at the far end of this, a logical point that's being used in a lot of the current discussion is like critical speed. Yep. And then somewhere in the middle is a really traditional term or understanding of these terms, like your hour run pace, Correct, the, yeah. the, like the, the Daniels, threshold power. That's right. Your... What we've often seen in literature as your maximal lactate steady state. Right. This is, it's, it's falling in the middle of these extremes. All right. And there are, there are turn points having, so take it to your running and think about it this way. This can be anything from what you can run for a marathon or more to what you can run for an hour, to down to perhaps as little as just 20 minutes, you know, depending on where you fall in a critical speed test. So this is a broad range along this curve, but there's a bunch happening in between. And for all of us, a lot of race distances are getting covered in between as well. Well, so so let's let's do this. Let's define tempo and threshold first. Uh You know, so from my perspective, and then we can kind of work our way up that curve and what those points Let's are. Let's do it. Yep. So from my perspective, tempo simply means rhythm. So if somebody's telling me that they're doing a tempo run, I need a whole lot more information of what's going on. There. Yeah. You know, so if you're, you know, training for a marathon and going out for a tempo run, that could be anything from, you know, 20 minutes at 10K race pace to eight miles at half marathon pace. It just means that you're trying to find a certain rhythm. So there's those no, are hard workouts, Phil. They are. Yeah. Um, That's why you're better than me. <laughs> with that, it's, we're just training a certain speed, a certain rhythm. There's not necessarily a physiological marker that's associated with whatever we're doing. Okay. Threshold to me is we are training at some certain physiological turn point. Mm-hmm. So that could be, Aerobic threshold, anaerobic threshold, we'll talk about some of those in a moment. But basically, 
we are putting a pin on this is the physiological point that I am trying to improve. I really like that distinction between what is almost an effort-based model and a physiological point-based model. Practically, what you also see with a lot of training systems is that the, the tempo run is done slightly slower than the threshold run. Yes. Because it's an effort you can maintain for longer. The threshold stuff, it might be hard to maintain yep. for, for quite as long. But in doing that, I'm also muddying the waters a little bit. And I like that you're keeping a clear distinction. I like to think about tempo runs feeling fast, not feeling hard. Nice. If, yeah. if that makes yeah. some sense. Or force, maybe. Yeah, right? There's a a smooth quality to it. Uh, It's something natural. If you go back and listen to our interview with Matt Futterman, the Mm -hmm. author who wrote on the Bob Larson training system, and of course, Larson worked with V Hill at Mammoth with some of our great runners like Meb and Dina Castor. There's this feeling he, he describes of going down a hallway and feeling like there's a door at the end that's locked, but as you near it, the door unlocks and you can go through it and you can continue to move through these doors. And it's this freeing feeling yeah. more than it is checking an exact physiological box, right. but they can both be valuable yes. if used well yep. in any system. So let's continue with some definitions then, Phil. So let's walk down that curve. So if if we are on the easy, the far end of the spectrum, on let's say the left end of the graph, the left end of the curve, as we increase intensity, as we go from basically rest to walking speed to jogging, running, our heart rate goes up, our rate of breathing goes up, that first point, that first threshold that we want to look at is what's called the ventilatory threshold. Mm -hmm. This is really close to that first point of where our lactate bumps up that one millimole per liter. So this would also be considered our aerobic threshold. Yep. So what's happening there is the there's less of a linear increase in CO2 that you're exhaling relative to your the oxygen you're consuming. Simply, it's basically that point where you go from no longer being able to breathe out your nose to having to breathe out of your mouth to get enough get enough oxygen. And what you're describing in discussing like CO2 is the ventilatory threshold, the overlap there is what some will often refer to as the gas exchange yep. threshold. Yep. There's some great value here in using this because it tends to overlap well with what you are thinking about as a listener as your like traditional lactate threshold. Yep. Well, what we can do when considering the thresholds by like a three zone model, mm-hmm. when you cross that first ventilatory threshold and then later a second one, which yep. is often corresponds with that lactate anaerobic threshold, some will call it that inflection point, yep. that turn point in lactate production where it really skyrockets. We can measure this. We can quantify it now without using a blood lactate meter. We could do breathing right. tests. So right? in the lab, you'll often be... As they're measuring lactate in your blood, they'll do that by pricking your finger, and there's a sensor that, that measures the concentration. But you'll often be hooked up to a tube that basically measures how much air you're you're breathing in, but also the amount of CO2 that you are uh, breathing out. So with the your blood measures, we can chart the graph of lactate as it increases in concentration. 
with the, the tube that measures what you're breathing in and out, we can chart how much oxygen and how much CO2 are going in and out and how that ratio changes as you, your intensity increases as well. And we've already reached a point where, here where we realize getting specific lactate measurements for most of us is going to be incredibly difficult in our normal training processes. Yeah. Yes, there are professional athletes in groups that are testing this and monitoring it, but it's it's quite invasive, expensive, be expensive and all yeah. those things for the average person. So having other indicators is valuable. And there are numerous other indicators we can use. Well, so I don't want to skip to that yet, though. I want to keep working across the curve okay. that you were going through, if that yeah, works. Absolutely. Because a lot of those indicators that we also use are, are more specific to that lactate threshold point that, again, it's we're moving up a curve and it's that spot where the curve really the curve starts, starts to, to turn. It yeah. t- starts to turn and get more steep. Yep. All right. We're gradually climbing right now. Continue the climb. So uh, next, really beyond that. It's is, the climb. Is... Miley Cyrus. Go ahead. <laughs> Glad you know that, Travis. Thank you. <laughs> so kind of the next point really is that lactate threshold. So it's that first inflection point as we go from a linear graph to a exponential graph as the curve turns upward. Mm-hmm. Um, then as we move further, next, what in running would be considered critical speed and cycling would be considered critical power, where this is when our physiology starts to become unstable. This is kind of the point where we're on the the red line, and that as we go above this, our battery is running low, and we need to be coming to the finish line pretty soon. And our ability to maintain that pace quickly decreases. Yep. And then our ability also to, to take a quick break and get back to that pace starts to decrease as well. And so again, to simplify, if you're going to use a basic like three zone interpretation, that's the breaking point at which you move. You're now in the third zone. From zone zone two to zone three. Yes. Okay. So so let's look at this from a five zone model too, because that's pretty similar. mm -hmm. I know a lot of coaches use that as well. Zone one and two, zone one is basically our easy recovery zone pace. Zone two is... It's still kind of in that all-day range. Mm-hmm. The marker between zone two and three is that initial lactate threshold. Yeah. So below the, the that... First lact- the first lactate... And I want to clarify something because we're using that term now. Along this curve, there is somewhat general agreement that there are two yep. lactate thresholds. Yes. And so we're hitting the first yep, one the now. First that first point. one yeah. interchangeable with a first ventilatory threshold. Yep interchangeable with moving from everyday pace now to something that is aerobically beginning to challenge us. Uh, This is probably a breaking point that for a lot of people is somewhere around marathon pace. I would agree. Yeah. Okay. So the break point between zone two and zone three is kind of our marathon pace. Then moving between zone three to zone four would be moving between say marathon pace up to our critical power, our critical speed, excuse me, we're runners here, not cyclists. Yes. Which that point would be somewhere under 10K pace. Yep. And then as we move from zone four to zone five, that's what we would consider the severe domain. So yeah. the, the... We move from heavy to, to extreme. Severe. Yeah. Yes. Well, severe to extreme. Yeah. Um, And then as we move from the top of zone five would be basically our VO2. 
Do you agree with those definitions? Yes, where, I, where I do. do we need to I just like to simplify it to three zones. Yeah. I, I like a three-zone model because it's easier for folks. I agree, yeah. Five is common. You'll see seven out there. Yep. But what we can do with that three-zone model is it's not truly easy, moderate, and hard. Right. Don't think about it that way. With that three-zone model, we can create a range where we can simplify what percentages of training we're doing in each one. They're easier to understand. And we've now divided up. And yeah, the first one is that really easy stuff. I can do all day stuff. My second one is probably a lot of stuff happening between marathon pace and ish and 10K pace ish. And then in the third one, it's the stuff that's happening faster than that. Those divides between those zones then are easy to line up with this curve because they're also the places where we see that first rise in the blood lactate level and then that sharp yep, second sharp, rise steep climb. In, yeah. in the blood lactate level. And at that dividing line between the second and third zones, I've written down a number of other indicators you can use. They may include... an We did a bunch on metrics last time you were on, Mm -hmm. so that's why I thought these would be good. They may include things like percentage of heart rate max. 85-ish percent of heart rate max tends to correspond with that inflection point in Mm -hmm. the curve of lactate. Percent of VO2 max is broader. That's that's a little harder to pin down. But again, if you know these numbers, you could plot it. Somewhere between probably 80 and 88%, much lower in untrained athletes, which I think is a really interesting point because that suggests, one, the curve can shift and that it's valuable to do so. Yep. And two, it translates into our ability to hold paces closer to a maximum effort for a longer time. Well, let's let's even simplify it a little bit more. So if if we think about... You know, building the runner, you know, let's use the analogy of a house where mm-hmm. the floor is kind of our all day speed, our ability to go forever. You know, if you're a beginning runner, that might just be 30 minutes or an hour. If you're somebody that's, you know, experienced or an ultra marathon runner, that might be six hours, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So kind of our floors, our base, just our overall capacity for exercise. This mm-hmm. is an easy pace. The lactate threshold is the ceiling of the house. And then our VO2 is kind of the roof of the house. Yeah. So the, ro- the, the stuff going the on VO2, up in the attic. Right. Yep. Um, so there's not a ton of room there. Uh-huh. Our VO2 is somewhat set genetically. To some degree, it's trainable. All types of training affect VO2. Yes. Um, and in terms of building overall fitness, we just want to build a bigger house. Yeah. So we need to make sure, you know, putting this in context of, of marathon training, you know, we need to make sure that floor is enough that we can handle being out there for three, four, five hours, mm-hmm. that we've just done the volume to to be out there. As we get fitter and as we get more towards performance-oriented goals rather than completion-oriented goals, we want to raise that ceiling up a little bit more. So we want to move that threshold up closer. We want to move that ceiling up closer to the peak of the roof. Yeah. And then you know, as we want to sharpen things up or work at you know races like 5K, 8K, 3K, VO2 max becomes more important and we can do some more work there. But again, VO2 max improves with really all of the training below it. So the easy running that helps the threshold running that helps. So maybe that analogy simplifies things a little bit. So two points to that. Let me extend the construction analogy. One is I have always sensed it. Like I'm trying to create a really 
nice ranch home first. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm trying to, I'm pushing this as I do this work up yep. to like a four story mansion. Oh. Right. You got room for me. That's, <laughs> it's like the, the kind of place where Dino lives. Okay. Right. Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of, you know, ritzy stuff. Okay. <laughs> but I do want to point out to the VO2 max stuff. We don't want to dive too much into this, but. That's not the most significant indicator Correct. for the races you're doing virtually across the board. Yep. So just keep that in mind uh, that the stuff we're dealing with in this episode may be more valuable indicators oh, to you. Yep. Now to move to some other tests of sort that you could use that it maybe are more effort-based. Yep. One is the, the classic comfortably hard uh-huh. model. Which I, I think makes some sense. We understand what that means. We're challenging ourselves, but we're not pushing it too much. Right. We're not at the edge. We're not racing. I know that when I finished with this, I could have done it for another mile mm-hmm. and or I could have done it a little bit faster. Yep. And there's also just simple talk tests you can use here. At what point can you no longer carry on a conversation? At what point can you no longer talk at all? (laughs) (laughs) Those are great markers. Yeah. And we're falling somewhere in between that at this threshold point where generally what I find is if you and I went out and did work at these paces, I could answer a question, but I couldn't carry a conversation. But I'm also not gasping so much that I can't even say a word to you. Well, and I think about it this way, too, is that if I'm out for an easy run, I want to be able to have a conversation where I'm saying full sentences and freely going back and forth. Yep. Conversational pace is a, yep. a marker I've used for years. If yes. we're you know, using this three-zone model, if we're going out for a run and I'm able to get out a couple words, then I have to take a couple deep breaths, then I'm somewhere probably in between zone two and three. To me, that means I need to be more intentional about what work I'm doing there and that I'm just not cruising along at a, a, an everyday run at an effort like that. And then as I move into zone three, then that's your short one-syllable words. Yes. Yeah, that's good, Phil. Yeah. Let's clear up a few other points just about lactate in general before we then move on to how we apply this yep. into workouts. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. First, you brought up earlier the that feeling of that burn, that stinging that can come yeah. in a run. And so we asked the question, is this the source of that muscle burn and soreness later on? The best evidence suggests maybe, yeah. but very possibly not. Yeah. yeah, we're just not sure. Micro tears in the muscle might be more yep. to blame than anything oh, else. Oh, and build up in inflammatory products that are unrelated to That's right. lactate. A somewhat related question. Where is the source of that acidity via hydrogen ions? Because you brought up the hydrogen ion earlier, and it's the acidity mm-hmm. that comes with that process of acidosis. Yep. But it's possible that the source of that acidity is coming from somewhere else, not at all blood lactate. There's very good research that would speculate it's CO2. Mm-hmm. But the linked increases in acidity and blood lactate levels are why some researchers and runners have concluded that this is the source. Mm-hmm. And whether it is or not, those parallels can provide a good jumping off point for one, better understanding the issue, and two, training. Yes. When we look at the most recent data here, you said at the very beginning, it's very possible that lactate accumulations are just simply misunderstood. Are they possibly just a correlated marker associated with acidosis? 
There's still debate. Yep. We can't definitively say one way or the other, but certainly a pendulum has swung toward correlation, not causation right. here. An analogy I love, though, is in pointing out that that doesn't inherently change the value of using this in our training. It is I once heard um, Coach John Kellogg had written the, a, a parallel and an analogy on traditional subsistence agriculture. Okay. You didn't think I was going to go I here, don't know did where you? you're going now. Yeah. And this was his point. They used the sun and the stars to help them quite accurately make decisions about planting and harvesting. And they had the same results that we still seek today, despite a conceptual model that assumed the sun and the stars revolved around the earth, yeah. which we know now to be inaccurate. But it doesn't change the output. I like where you're going with this. Does that yeah, make some sense then? Absolutely. Yeah. So just because we we don't completely understand lactate and it might just be a correlated marker doesn't mean throw it out and don't consider it in training. There's still value to it. There still could be value. There also is agreement and certainty to a point you raised earlier that lactate at some level is fuel. Yes. Now, to go back to my working definition I said earlier on blood lactate that that threshold occurs when we're increasing it at a rate we can no longer clear it or use it, think about it this way. A nice meal is one of the great pleasures of life, <laughs> right? Amen. We enjoy it and it is fuel, uh -huh. but we also can make some of our biggest mistakes at a nice meal. Think about the all-you-can-eat buffet. Oh. It goes beyond a point of being fuel, right. right? When you just can no longer function. Right. My, my vivid memory here is being like 13 years old <laughs> after a Halloween hayride with my grandparents and uncle and some friends of theirs. We went to a brunch buffet the next day. Okay. And my uncle... Knowing that my uncle lived with my grandparents at the time, they helped take care of him. Knowing that he would probably get in trouble for eating too many desserts, excused himself from the table and went to the dessert table <laughs> and consumed as much strawberry mousse as possible before anyone could see what oh, he had done. Oh, man. Uh -huh. And so he's just hammering, 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 hammering. We go to leave. What happens? Uh-oh. Tummy ache. <laughs> I got to get out of the car, and now I got like a strawberry waterfall oh. that I'm shooting out into the grass at the side of the restaurant. <laughs> there is a line. You got to bring this home, Travis. <laughs> Here it is. He crossed the line, the threshold, uh -huh. between using fuel, which is what food yep. is for all of us, and not being able to function at all due to the presence of too much not fuel. Not being able to tolerate how much was there. Yes. Yeah. That, okay. That is, it's it's the strawberry mousse model <laughs> of the lactate threshold. Another point of somewhat uncertainty here that I, I just want to drive home one more time before we go on to in training. The impact on fatigue is somewhat uncertain here also. It might just also simply be a misplaced association with excessive acidity. Right. But we do see theory that high blood lactate levels could inhibit muscle output. Mm -hmm. All right. So there it's, again, we're not exactly certain here, but it could be a fatiguing factor. Moreover, if we use a working definition of fatigue of being at a point in which you can no longer sustain the same effort, mm -hmm. same pace with the same effort, 
that also tends to correlate around this that same when we, point when we move through the same point and we hit that second lactate turn point and we move towards zone three. So yep. we'll come back to that with some training examples. Good. I went all over the place oh, there. We man. did agriculture. We did strawberry mousse. Anything you want to add then before we turn to what you can do in your training with lactate threshold and tempo running? So probably the last point that, that I want to add is that as we think about lactate threshold to build off your strawberry mousse example. Please do. <laughs> I knew you would. Is that what our threshold is, what our lactate threshold is, tells us basically how metabolically fit we are. Basically how metabolically fit the muscles are for it to do the work we're asking it to do. Yeah. Conversely, VO2 max tells us how prepared the cardiovascular system is to do work. Yeah. So how effectively can your lungs get oxygen into the bloodstream? Yeah, I, I like that. That's so, good. Knowing all that we know now, putting out definitions mm -hmm. and analogy upon analogy, <laughs> before we put this into practice with writing a training plan, let's find some agreement then on what these thresholds equal as paces yeah. or roughly approximate, it depends from individual to individual, on paces so that you have a better understanding of what type of work you're actually doing yeah. here. Well, so how do we test it? How do we find it? Well, let me ask you this. As, as a coach, do you feel like there's value in your athletes being tested in the lab? Because you know, coming from the clinical side of things, we can test these, these numbers in the lab and get hard data points where we sit on this curve. But as a coach, do you think that's valuable for somebody to do? If you have easy access to it, sure. I don't put a lot of weight on having to get a lab number here. Yeah. I approach that from a couple different ways. One, very successful athletes worldwide for decades have used these concepts without ever knowing their numbers. Yep. The East African cultures would be the best example. Yeah. And some have speculated that the East African cultures are actually far more in tune with this fundamentally, not just because of an emphasis on effort in running, but also because of the altitudes at which they run mm -hmm. and that these breaking points are more readily apparent when done at altitude, which yeah. I find intriguing. Makes sense. Yeah. I think that when you use all those other indicators we put forward earlier and then you get race times and you couple that with understanding that in general as a feeling we have a perception that our that these numbers like our threshold where that mm -hmm. inflection point happens is a little slower than excuse me we think we're a little faster at this than we really are right. because we have, unfortunately, in retrospect, after an effort, we assume we weren't really trying quite as hard as we actually probably were. Right. Most people aren't exactly in touch with that. So take that idea that yeah, probably dial it back just a bit from what you think you're feeling yep. is probably where it actually is, and then overlap it with what we'll get into. These are equivalents from races. Yeah. You want to do that? No, next? I, do I, do? I agree. Because you know, to me, I, I, the lab stuff is fun. It's interesting. It's very, very specific. But as it comes to the majority of us out there, it's not really necessary. Yeah. And really, my thought is to go race. And that's going to give you as good an idea of where some of these levels are, particularly if you're racing distances close to these turn points. Yeah. And you can extrapolate, say you do a 5K race from how you do there. You can extrapolate about how you would do at a 10K 
It doesn't quite transfer to how you might do in a marathon, but I think frequent racing gives us a uh, a good idea. The one thing I do think has value is benchmark workouts, where there's something that you come back to on a monthly or maybe every six-week basis where you're testing yourself to make sure that you're actually making progress with your training. So I think there's value there, but in terms of actually knowing the a lab number, I don't know how valuable that is. All right, so two points then. One, the benchmark workout thing is interesting to me because I understand the the premise. However, are not the races the benchmark? Sure, yeah. And I don't want to get into a place of putting pressure on a workout to be done faster than a previous workout, a comparison game. It's why I've mentioned on here before, I often take the same workout and do it in different places so that it's not a direct comparison. Under supervision and lab guidance and and the protocols that we see in testing that a lot of our research has done, what you were recommending is how things work. Right. But in practice, I feel like it might not be the best way. Okay to actually get better as a runner. Is it a good way to evaluate if you're faster at something than you were than six weeks ago? Absolutely. Is it the best for your long-term growth? I would debate that because I believe that's the point of racing. Right. And then we use the races to set some of these numbers. So that goes to my next piece here is you mentioned translating race times Mm -hmm. to values. What races... Are you using? What weight are you putting on them? How are you adjusting them and helping to someone determine this is what threshold value this is, threshold is, is for you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So again, going back to this three zone model, yeah. you know, I, I think you said earlier that you know, marathon pace is kind of that turn point of going from zone one to zone two. And I think that's that's dead on. You know, going from zone two to zone three would be ten K pace. So somewhere okay. An event that takes 30 to 45 minutes or so. So not necessarily, you know, cyclists get hung up on like functional threshold power. Yeah. You know, basically the effort they can maintain for an hour. Um, this is something that's a little bit faster than that. So a race distance that takes you from, you know, let's say 30 to 45 minutes. So yeah. for a beginner runner, you know, maybe a 5K. Um, you know, if they're running it in 30, 33 minutes. <laughs> You know, for a... I'm going to pause you right there because I, I want to make a point for the beginner runner. Yeah. We've gone pretty deep into some heavy stuff here. For the beginner runner, the more valuable tool... I'm going to undermine the purpose of this entire <laughs> podcast, Phil. The more valuable tool is to get out and run consistently yes. at easy paces and then pause this episode right now and come back to it in a number of months yeah. or years later when you're seeing improvement and want to jump to the next level. Build that ranch house. Yes, that's right. Build the ranch. Don't overeat the strawberry mousse. <laughs> but go ahead, because so, I think that's really yeah. important. Well, the reason I say that is because 10K pace for some folks may be an hour. Yes. And that's not a true marker of where those physiological events change. But for some folks, 10K pace may be 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, so a race distance that's taking you, for an average runner, 10K pace is probably dead on. This is interesting because I'm seeing my definitions here of what I would use in racing also overlapping with the understanding that uh, our perception of effort at these paces, we probably give ourselves just a little too much credit. Okay. 
I like at that first break point, again, on a three zone into the second one, that break point actually probably happens for competitive runners a little before marathon pace, a little earlier. But I think for most people, that's generally agreeable. Where I really like a distance to, to set for that second to third break point is the 15K. Okay. I love that. I know it's hard to find. Yeah. There's not a ton of them, but it's a great racing distance. It's a, a psychological and physiological challenge, and it's a tremendous break point, particularly for someone who has more experience. Yep. Because, like, I'll take myself, I'm running that in under an hour. Right. This goes back to my point, though, about the novice. If you're the novice, it's this is not the most valuable. Right. Right. It, well, because it's, it's pushing your levels of capacity, not yes, that's exactly right. Not your physiological well said. turn points. That's well said. So I love a fifteen k, or I think a ten k makes a lot of sense though mm-hmm. too. It, it just depends on your level of experience, but we're in general agreement that you could use those numbers. Very valuable. Yeah. But the five k is such a commonly raced event. And you could take the simple measure of your 5K time and start to add to it yeah. as a way to set your break point from zone two Just into zone three. Just from your 5K pace. That's yeah. right. And, and so if your 5K pace is – you are someone who runs six minutes per mile. So you're running somewhere around 18 minutes and 40 seconds mm-hmm. for a 5K. You've clearly done some running. You're doing a good job. That person could probably take that six-minute pace and add about 30 seconds a mile and fall right along that barrier of straddling this threshold of the point where the curve gets steep and you move from zone two into zone three. It's a safe Conversion-wise, 630 pace is probably their 15K pace. 620 pace is their 10K pace. So that's a a 10-second window. Which there's some subtle subtleties that occur through those ten seconds, but really that's I think you're we're safe to work out in that that range. Yeah, and so working out at different points in that range yeah. then is the kicker. Yeah, and that's what we're going to get into next time with the examples. We've just gone so much overtime here with so much enthusiasm. We're going to continue recording, but put it into a second episode that will be coming at you with specific examples of how you use this in workout sessions. And also, if you have a coach who is prescribing these for you, understanding why he or she is giving you these workouts. So that will be next time in mile 107 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. We're going easy pace. That's a long way. It is a long (laughs) way. I need to catch my breath. That's it for mile 106. As always, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, rate us on Spotify. Check out our friends at Do South. Phil and I are going to continue this conversation. We'll cut it up and we will bring it to you next time here on Seconds Flat.